places. That does not mean I'm going to be long-winded. Thank you, Angel. I have a friend in the house that's hungry, hungry like me. I'd like you to go to Psalm 103. Put your finger there, and then if you would, go with me to Luke 13. Luke 13. As many of you know, I spent several hours in the Dalton court system last week and of the 30 different cases I set that were presented before the judge uh, 90% of those cases were drug related uh, as I was in Kentucky last week I set four hours in a court the 10 cases represented there of the 10 cases nine of those cases were drug related and of the 10 cases eight of those did not have a job as I begin to reflect the fact that we the church are supposed to make a difference in the world he said go in my name teaching and baptizing them and making 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 disciples in the nations I believe that we are touching the nations but I don't believe that we are seriously affecting the nations I think there's been a paradigm shift that in church we value our ministry by the amount of people that attend or the beauty of our sanctuary or the beauty of our of our lights and fog and our youth group and those things are all important and we were doing lights and fog way before anybody was doing lights and fog. we were seeker friendly before it was popular to be seeker friendly our queen for a day our ladies conference those are all aimed at the unbelievers to figure out a way to try to get them in the house of god so they can give their heart to god but I don't believe that is the entire purpose of the church. I believe that we are to impact nations. The word says, ask of me and I will give you nations as an inheritance. I've asked God for a why. I know that's not a nation, but I'm a little carnal and I love a why. So I said, well, God, give me, give me a why. Open doors and a why. Open doors in Trinidad. Open doors in Australia. Open doors that we can go and our ministry would actually touch a nucleus of people that that remnant could raise up and change that nation for the good and the glory of the Lord. And so as we reflect today on the Word of God, I believe I can show you this morning where the nation's at, all nations, and what we're supposed to be doing and where we're supposed to be. In Luke, go with me, if you will, to the 13th chapter. And I'll just start with that. The 11th verse. Anytime you find the word behold in the Bible, it is a revelation. Anytime you see anything that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, or behold, the axe is laid to the root. Anytime you find the word behold, it means you need to research there because there is a hidden story there in the story. Don't you thank God for the story? Don't you like God for the, the stories in the stories? In the 11th verse, And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. I want to stop right there. And I believe that is the attitude or that is the reflection of the world that we live in. There is a generation of people that are bowed over with all the frustrations of life and they have no ability to straighten themselves up. Paul said we have thousands of teachers but not many fathers. If you were to go to the library today, most libraries or most bookstores cannot contain all the books written concerning Christianity. It has gone to millions upon millions upon millions of volumes of books out there. Somehow it's telling you how to do something. 
And I appreciate all those helps. I appreciate all the things that God has given us. But I do not believe that you can read a book on self-help and wash away your sins and have your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life and spend eternity in heaven with God. I believe you've got to go through what this book says, how to get to where God's at. And I believe there's only one way. And if you will allow me next Sunday, next Sunday we're going to have an illustrated message. I'm going to take you billions of miles from here and I'm going to show you some solar systems that are literally going to freak you out and blow your mind. The Bible says in 19, Psalms 19, the first four verses, it says that the heavens declare, shout the things of God. I'm going to show you a nebulous next Sunday where you're actually going to see a star that gives God glory. I'm going to play the sound this star makes. I'm going to take you to Whirlpool where our Hubble telescope has gone way out there in space and has seen this beautiful display of God's glory. But in the egg of that whirlpool, I'm going to show you something that is literally going to blow your mind. I'm, I'm telling you, that it, will, it will rock your world. You'll feel God. You'll get excited. You'll, 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 you'll realize how big God really is. Psalm 103.15, God said that his mercies are as high as the heavens. I'm going to show you how high the heavens are next Sunday. And he, and he takes our sins and he removes them as far as the east is from the west. God has placed your sins in the sea of forgiveness and forgetfulness and he's hung up a sign that says no fishing. Somebody ought to be thankful for that. And then one day he's going to do away with the sea of forgetfulness and no one will ever be able to remind us because the accuser of the brethren would place a lake of fire forever and forever and we will study war no more. But now we're studying war. There is a battle. There's a war going against the church of Jesus Christ to distract us from why Jesus came and what Jesus wants us to do. He told us all authority, and the word all means all, both in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Now you go in my name, you go in my authority, you go in all that I was and all that I did. And they went back to heaven, sat down waiting for us to move in the power and authority that God has called us to move in. But how many distractions did we encounter in life? Jesus, I'm going to show you a formula here. There's a woman. She's literally, she's literally bowed over with her infirmity. And whatever she does, she cannot straighten herself up. She can't fix herself. She can't help herself. And I made a list of some of the things in life today that may have us bowed over. And can anybody relate to the attitude of heaviness? Of just your heart being heavy? Or just maybe a heartache. Maybe someone has broken your heart some type of demonic power hindering you, some kind of sickness, some kind of disease, some kind of drug addiction or alcohol abuse or some kind of sadness, going through any depression, spirits of suicide, perversion, financial challenges, hopelessness, marriage crunches, children away from the Lord. I believe that's the generation that we're ministering to today and I believe you don't have to look very far to find people that are bowed over with no hope of any kind of recovery or healing. Am I, am I talking to anybody in the building today? And watch this. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And what I like here, she wasn't in a prayer line. She wasn't at an altar call. She wasn't at a Perry Stone or Benny Hinn conference. She wasn't in the audience of Daystar. She was just out there. And you don't have to go very far to find people that are hurting, 
find people that are wounded they are everywhere everywhere you go in every aspect of life whether you're at the mall whether you're at walmart whether you're at shoney's whether you're at where you're on the job whether at church we are living in a nation of hurting people all these all these things the bible says as it was in the days of noah as it was in the days of sodom and gomorrah the days of noah food and drugs was their god they, they, they lived, lived upon divorce. In the days of Sodom, there was perversion. There has never been a generation quite like this. We have perverted things to such a degree that we should get a medal in perversion. I went last night to the GameStop to look at one of the Xbox games, and it was amazing. There was a whole wall of things on there about mafia, about assassins, about murder, about dragons, about evil, about dungeons of, and dragons. And I, and I realized there's people that actually buy this stuff and actually are involved in it. Layers upon layers of perversion, layer upon layers of, of confusion. I, I, my, my friend at Blockbusters uh, uh, loves the Lord, loves God. He's very much involved in Perry Stone's ministry. And he recommended a couple of uh, uh, movies. There was, a, there was a thing concerning the Pacific and Tom Hanks produced it. And, uh, and I started watching it and, and didn't get very far in it that I had to shut it down because there were things in there that I don't want my daughter seeing. And if I don't want my daughter to sing, that means then I don't want to see it either. Am I helping anybody? Sometimes I think we think we're so mature that we can handle the F-bomb. I think we get to a place where we're immune to the GDs. I think we get to a place where the, where the, where the sex and the perversion, we just kind of overlook it. But I'm going to tell you something What true religion. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But true religion is this, to visit the fatherless and the orphan and to keep yourself spotless in the world. We're in them, but not among them. We can, look, we can look like them because it's not in the clothes you wear. It's not how you comb your hair. Hello. We can look like them, but there ought to be a difference when we get in the middle of them and they're hurting. We need to see there is a hurt. And when he saw there was a hurt, he called to her and brought her to him. And when we can get people to Jesus, things are going to change. Things are going to happen. Whether it's a church like this, whether it's a revival, whether it's a prayer meeting, whatever it is, like Kenan said, three-hour prayer meeting, two o'clock in the morning. When's the last time you prayed to two o'clock in the morning? When's the last time you paid, prayed 20 minutes? Last Sunday, those of you that weren't, I told Pastor Rhonda this morning, I said, baby, I said, I just want to preach last Sunday morning's message because it was, it was a, a word for us. And many of us missed it because of the time, sickness, all of that. But very, very short, there was a guy by the name of Honey drew a circle on the ground, refused to leave that circle until it rained. And we know that the Bible, the Bible tells us it rained. There was a great breakthrough. There was a great healing, great miracle. And then I took it to Samuel, where Samuel every, every year made a circuit. He went to four places. And I told you what those four places were. Uh, how many was not here last Sunday? You were not here. Let me, let me give you, if I, if I can, the, the, those, those circuit places. Are you ready? He went to Bethel. At Bethel, Jacob had an encounter with God. At, at Bethel was a place that Jacob saw a breakthrough. He saw the power and the authority of God. And at Bethel, Jacob began to pray. Not only did, did Samuel go to Bethel, but he went to Gilgal. Gilgal was a place where God told Abraham, everything you see is yours. Your, your, your seed shall be as the stars of the, so, of the, of the sky and the sands of sea. And, and we know that when you begin to pray, you're going to see some promises of God be manifested. Am I helping anybody? Yes, when you pray, you are to expect something to happen in your prayer. You expect something to take place. He went from Gilgal to Mizpah. Mizpah was a place where Jacob and Laban reconnected. They, they deceived one another. They offended one another. 
But Laban made the statement, may, may our God be with you and me while we're apart one from, from another. And you are to expect when you see prayer operating in your life and you see the promises of God operating in your life, you are to expect restoration. Look at somebody say restoration. restoration. Then the Bible says he went home a place called Ramah and that's a place where he built an altar and that is a place of worship. Now watch the circuit here. You have to pray. And when you pray, you are to expect the favor of God to come into your life and begin to honor some prayers and provide some promises. Am I helping anybody? And then when you begin to see the promises take place because God blesses you, he'll place you in an area of restoration. And in the area of restoration, when you, start, when you see God start restoring marriages, families, children, getting, getting saved and delivered from drugs and alcohol, then you're going to come back to a place of praise or a place of worship. Now watch what happens when we do what God called us to do. She was bowed over. There was nothing she could do to help herself. Jesus sees her, calls her, brings her to him, and then says to her, notice the next verse. The middle of verse 12. Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And then he laid hands on her and immediately, look at somebody and say, immediately. Two things happen. Watch this. Two things happen. Immediately she was healed and immediately she began to glorify God. I mean, isn't that what we are supposed to be? Creatures of appreciation and creatures of worship? Are we not in everything give thanks to God for all the bad stuff and the good stuff that happens in our life? That there are tests in our life, there are battles that we go through, what the enemy intended for evil. God places an area of blessing and favor that what we go through, he was there all the time. Oh, come on, somebody wave at me. He was there all the time. He knew exactly what you were going through. He never left you alone and gave you the courage and the energy to withstand the trial, to stand up and say, I've been to hell and back. I didn't stay in hell. I didn't stay in that pit. He brought me up out of the miry clay, set my feet on a rock, established my going, and put a new song in my mouth. And what do people hear in that new song? They begin to fear. Oh, come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You're going to praise him. Let him hear it. Come on, my Facebook crew. Start praising God right there where you're at in Jesus' name. What a phenomenal, incredible God that we serve. What is our responsibility? Obviously... The attitude of the church before the Reformation was in the attitude of dress. We had to dress a certain way. We had to look a certain way. We had to have this, the right kind of Eucharist, the right kind of communion, the right, the, the right kind of... We, we, had to, we, had, we had to just be right in every area. And that we see legalism come in. Somebody help me. I mean, you guys don't remember the day when if you were Church of God, you took your wedding band off. You didn't go to a movie. You didn't shoot pool. No, you didn't, you didn't do any of that because it was all based upon how you looked. And I grew up in a generation that had their sleeves down to their ankles, their dress down to their ankles, their tongue down to their neck. Oh, you don't remember those days. We judged our Christianity by what we looked like and how we did not associate with the world. And while we didn't associate with the world, the world bought up all the good television time. While we didn't associate with the world, the world came up with all the great country western songs. Come on, help me. While we didn't associate with the world, we lost some ground that we should be able to move forward. But I'm so glad right now that American Idol, there's a Phil Stacy that will stand up and say, I love the Lord. I give him all the glory for being, being what he has done for me. As you watch American Idol, Christian voices are coming forth. They're singing Christian songs. We are impacting the world and don't even realize it because we were told we weren't supposed to have fun. 
The Muslim said, I wish I met your Christ before I met your Christian. A lot of us are boring. We look boring. We're, we're stuck in the middle. We don't smile. We don't get happy. The, the, the glass is always half full. I don't care if it's half full or half empty. I'm going to drink what's in there. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We're going to enjoy what God has for us. So there's got to be, there's got to be some kind of mindset that we've got to walk in. I got, I'm so full of it this morning, it's scary. Pastor Mark two weeks ago told us that a man in a jungle called him out and prophesied over him and told him the seven areas of his life that God would bless. This man had no idea that there was a book written by, I think his name is Maiden, Walter Maiden or David Maiden. It, it, it talks about the seven plagues in our life that God wants to touch and God wants to cohabit. I'll share those. If you're taking notes today, you might want to write down these seven places because they are the place of the family the place of education the place of religion the place of government the place of business the place of the media and the place of the art I'm going to highlight every one of these in just a minute the first thing that I want to bring to your attention is that everyone in this building has or needs to have a family matter of fact if it wasn't for your mom and dad you wouldn't be here today Thank God your mom and dad connected at least once. Hello. That you're the apple of their eye. You're that, you're, that, you're that seed that got planted in their womb. And they were stuck with you the next 18. Can anybody relate? It's ironic here. This woman has been crippled for 18 years. We have a generation right now from 18 to 22. They're having a tough time with two things. Number one, they're having a tough time believing that Jesus is the only way. That's why there's some of the books of enlightenment, different religions, different facets, different fads, and they're having a tough time with hell. They're having a tough time believing how could a loving God send anybody to hell? He does not. We determine our destiny. We determine our future. By the words of our mouth, do we, do we determine where we're going to spend eternity? I went and preached the meanest man in town's funeral several years ago, and I was related to him. And several of the, of, the, of the town thought that I was going to come and put him in heaven. And that little church that ran about 70 had over 400 people in that, in that funeral. I stood before that audience congregation knowing what they thought I was going to say. I simply made the statement. I said his name, Aubie Smith, determined a long time ago where he was going to spend eternity. And let's pray that he made the right decision. That's all I said. Then I said, but there are those of you here today that you have not determined where you're going to spend eternity. Let's work on that. I give a salvation message. 38 people lifted their hands and accepted Christ in that funeral. Hello. There's something that, there's something that happens when God brings family into your life. Watch this. The, the great movement in the last days in Malachi 4 and 2, I will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the hearts of the children back to the fathers. There's never been a generation like this. I believe the ostrich and the peacock both abandoned their young. God never intended for a dad to abandon his child. God never intended for a husband to divorce his wife and go do his own thing and leave her struggling as a single mom. And we'll get there in a minute about true religion, but true religion is to minister, is to visit and minister to the fatherless and the widow. That's why, we have, that's why we have seasons in our life. We take the guys out to the lake and let them fish and be around godly guys. That's why we park Harley Davidson's out here and let the kids go out and sit on the back of that motorcycle. 
That's why we have fishing tournaments where we take the kids out, guys and girls, and let them fish and be around, be, be around dads that love God and dads that are afraid to sow their time in someone else's kids. It's a great responsibility of the church that we realize that there are kids out there that have no masculinity in their, in their life at all. And the femininity of the girl comes from the masculinity of the dad. Does that help anybody? That you're saying, well, I don't have a purpose. I don't have a ministry. I don't have a destiny. Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of things you can do for kids that don't have dads, that don't have any kind of favor, any kind of hope, any kind of family. I'm preaching good now. And that's an area that God wants us to take back. God wants us to, to be that altar. God wants our kids to hear us walking down the hallways praying for them. Christine came to me several minutes ago and said, Dad, I have a... I have a tummy ache. I said, well, let's pray. We prayed. I looked at her. She said, you feel any better? She said, well, no. I said, well, let's pray again. After the third prayer, she said, Dad, can I go lay down in the nursery? Thank God for persistent parents that would say, baby, I'm not going to go to the medicine cabinet and get you hooked on drugs. I'm not going to get a mindset in your life that every time you're hurting, you can take a pill and make it better. What happened to the old-time men and women of God that cut their thumb off, had no doctor, put duct tape around their thumb and accepted God to put the thumb back on the hand? What happened those days when we called out to God? We didn't run the emergency room. We believed that God would heal and God would restore. Those days are here. <coughs> There's no way we're going to cover all seven of these. Let's hurry. Education. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 and 15, quote it for me. Study to show thyself approved unto God. We challenged the guys two Monday nights ago to be able to memorize and write from memory the correct spelling of the 66 books of the Bible. Listen, guys, if you're going to be what God wants you to be and you're going to do what God wants you to do, you need to know the books of the Bible. You need to know where things are found. You need to, have to spell it correctly. When someone asks you about healing, you should be able to go to Isaiah and, and give them a healing scripture. When they ask about hell, you should be able to go to Matthew 25 and give them a scripture. And so I, I encourage you guys to write it all down. Well, I didn't know that Christine was there and she accepted the challenge. And I said, you had to spell, you had to spell everything right. And Mike, if, he, if she had to misspell Deuteronomy, I would have had to give her a $100 bill because that was the challenge. Thank God for a generation of young people that love the Word of God, grow up memorizing the Word of God, studying the Word of God. In the fourth grade, she could quote all the books of the Bible. What happened to that generation that you put the Bible and you dipped it in honey and you gave it to your baby as a pacifier and they grew up with the love? Oh, yeah, that's what they did. They took the scroll and dipped it in honey and gave it to the infant and the infant walked around with that. And every time it put that scroll to its mouth, it was sweet. What happened to a generation used to teach our kids things in the Bible really did happen. That it really was a Noah. He really did build an ark. There really was a David. He did kill Goliath. Why do we have to fudge around those areas and not believe what God's word says? Mom and dad sent their son to Sunday school. Hadn't been there for a while. Came home that afternoon on the way home. Son is go. His dad asked him, "Well, Johnny, what did you learn in church today?" And he said, "Oh, Dad, I heard I, I learned about World War III, where the enemy was coming against Moses, and so Moses got all of his soldiers out, and they built a bridge, and it spanned the Red Sea, and they crossed the Red Sea, and as they were crossing the Red Sea, Moses sat in the helicopters, and when Pharaoh's army tried to follow them in the Red Sea, the helicopters came in and shot Pharaoh's army. Then they dropped the atomic bomb and leveled everybody in the army, and they and they won the battle." And the dad said, whoa, 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 whoa. You expect me to believe that? Well, dad, I'm not sure. But if I'd have told you what the teacher told me really happened, I know you wouldn't have believed that. This is not a fairy tale. 
these are words to live by. This is, this is our map. This is our light. This is our meat. This is our rhema. This is everything that we are. And if we don't know what this word says, the enemy will use this word against us. The very first one to quote the Bible was who? The devil. Hath God said. Notice what he did. He misquoted it. He distorted it. We've got to know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, what the word of God says and what it does not say. As we look a little further in these seven hills of Rome that we've been promised, we look at religion. I've already shared this, I believe, as well as I need to share it. True religion. Watch this, guys. True, re, re, the word religion means man's search for God. Well, can I tell man something? God's not lost. God's not lost. He's right there where we last left him. He hasn't taken a vacation. He hasn't taken a sea law. He's quick to answer to the cries of his children. He's quick to come to their defense and quick to come to their aid. So, so, so we are not looking for God. God is looking for us. And aren't you glad this morning that he found you? Wherever he found you, that's not important to him. But before you and your mother's womb, he had a destiny, a purpose, and a plan for your life. And when he called you, he knew there'd be a bump in the road. He knew that hydros would try to snag you. He knew there'd be a wound, a hurt, or a pain. He knew there'd be a, a, a bad marriage. He, he knew all that. He still called you. He's not sorry that he called you, and he wants to see his plan come to pass. If you'll just get in line with his word, it could possibly come to pass. Somebody help in this house. There's a plan that he has for your life, and the way that he put this plan into effect is he made us responsible to feed the hungry, to visit the fatherless, and to minister to the orphan. That, that's, that's God's plan. And one day we stand before God, we're not going to be judged by how many period stone revivals we went to. We're not going to be judged by how much money we gave Teen Challenge. We're not going to be judged by how many hours we prayed in tongues. We're not going to be judged by any of that. But God's going to stand us up and say, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And when I was in prison, you came and visited me. God, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you in prison? He said, when you've done it to the least of these. Friday night, Saturday morning, I was treated very disrespectfully. I told somebody yesterday that Pastor Rhonda has never frisked me the way that I got frisked yesterday morning I was met with contempt I was asked to leave the facilities for 10 minutes and come back in a 10 minute window took everything out of my pockets took every, all, all, my, all my jewelry went to 7 or 8 doors set in a prison that's been called the gladiator pool this is the prison where people get cut people get murdered in August six prisoners got shot killed dead they burned seven buildings to the ground 1200 prisoners six of them went completely nuts our dear friend Pastor John was handcuffed to a chain link fence and stayed there for 24 hours in his boxers our society throws the criminal away our society places so much penalties and so much pressure on anybody that's committed a crime, it's almost impossible to see the light. Any kind of, and, 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 I, and, I, and I realize breaking the law is wrong. I understand all that. I understand there are those that are repeat offenders, but prisons are full of people that messed up one time, and there's got to be some kind of mercy extended to them, some kind of grace extended to them. 
before I left that prison, I had two guards come up to me and personally thank me for spending a day and a morning with one of our, one of our church members. God turned the whole thing around and God gave me favor. But in the middle of that prison yard yesterday, I saw people, they have been abandoned. There is no hope. There is no help. They have chapel services. Or they're not allowed to have a whole lot of stuff in there. But I will tell you something that really blessed my heart. Five years ago, when Pastor John was in this prison, we sent all of Perry Stone's teachings. Five years later, it's still there. Somebody say, praise the Lord. What a, what a mighty God that we serve. Most of you are aware that last, last week, the Lord, and this will bless some of you, the Lord opened the door for us to start a prison library in the Dalton Jail. And it's, and it's going to be called the Perry Stone Library. I took 80 pounds of books, and we made it a part of the library. And I said, well, why don't you call it the Hank Davis Library? I'm the one that brought all the books and made all this happen. But I thought, well, maybe I don't want a prison library named after me. Maybe that's just something I don't, I don't want. Maybe, maybe it's something else, but not that. But we have come to, we have come to a place, where, and, and we're, we're talking in the area of religion. We have come to a place, we've got to realize there's a reason why we pick up an extra box of macaroni and cheese and bring it Wednesday night. There's a reason why we have prison ministry. There's a reason why we have a closed closet. What's the reason? Because God told us to. And again, we stand before God. I'm not going to be judged by how many sermons I preach, how many books I wrote, or how many great places I went to. I'm going to be judged by how many hungry people did you feed, how many naked people did you clothe, and how many people did you lay your life down that were bound by drugs and they got set free because of your life or your ministry or your dollar? That's the question we're going to be asked when we get to heaven. And I'll tell you what, I don't want to get to heaven the way I got to Disneyland 20 years ago. Now, Matthew, you're way too young to remember this. I grew up in Southern California, and when we were bored, we go to Disneyland. And when you went to the gate, you paid for a, 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 a help me, a sleeve of tickets. There was the A ticket that lets you do the uh, merry-go-round. There was the B ticket that lets you go on the wild hermit's ride. The e-tickets were the big tickets. That was Pirates of the Caribbean. That was Ghost Mountain. That was all those, uh, Space Mountain, all those different rides. And so what we would do is we would go to Disneyland and we would climb the 16-foot wrought iron fence. We would climb the fence and get in Disneyland. And we thought we were so cool that we didn't have to pay to get in Disneyland. But the challenge was when we got there, there wasn't anything we could do because we didn't have the tickets. Look at somebody and say, duh, that was stupid. Well, I was blonde hair, blue eyed in those days. I guess that was the blonde showing out. Listen, Hannah, I don't want to get to heaven just because I barely made it. And there's no rewards there. There's no ministry there. There's no favor there. I've got a very short window here on earth that I can be the light in a dark place. I can be the salt of the earth. I can be a counselor. I can be a teacher. I can be a Christian. A short window to prepare what I'm going to do for eternity. And the Bible says you're going to be rewarded according to your works. There's no telling what we're going to do. When you see this sermon next Sunday morning, you're going to realize, first of all, how small you are, how big your God is, but how much he still loves you. Even though you're itty, when I show you in comparison to, to some things next Sunday, you're, you're, you're literally going to freak out and realize God really must love me. He would never done this stuff for me. And he does love you. Let's go a little farther. You ready? Our fourth island, our fourth star we want to look at is the star of government. You know what? I'll just, I'll just stop right here. This will be my, my last point, okay? 
there is an attitude in the church today that things are so evil so bad that we're never going to turn it around and what we need to do is get saved stay saved and save somebody else that there's no way that our authority our testimony our gifts and our talents can make a difference that the government is what it is and there's nothing we can do to change it cannot tell you how strongly the Word of God disagrees with that 800 years ago Isaiah said in 9 and 6 for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor everlasting father mighty God the Prince of Peace not only was he born to rule but you were born to rule in his name and I'll remind you that several times in the books of the Bible, God has used godly people to be the politician he needed to be in the last days. Moses was raised in Egypt's house, spoke seven languages, was trained to rule the world. God didn't call him to rule the world. He called him to take his people out of bondage into a land that he promised them to raise up a nation called Israel that from that day till now the world is still looking at it in amazement. In amazement. I look at the life of Esther. A young lady who was dropped dead gorgeous, kept herself a virgin, became qualified to be the king's wife, became the king's wife, risked her life and went in the presence of the king without being invited and stood in the gap and saved her generation that birthed the generation of David, that birthed the generation of Christ. When you look through the Bible, you see orators, you see men like Nicodemus, men that ruled the Sanhedrin that God touched had a personal relationship it was a member of the Sanhedrin that Jesus said for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son the greatest statement ever made was made to a politician we're in a place right now we've got to realize there's a reason why God put your brains in your head there's a reason why you get straight A's there's a reason why you have favor might be, there might be a reason God's calling you to be running the office of a governor we have a friend, Tundi Barak, that is running for president of Nigeria. He's a prophet. He has a church of over 10,000 in Lagos. And he feels like God has called him to run for president of Nigeria, one of the poorest countries in the world. What would happen if a born-again, spirit-filled prophet became the, 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 the king of, of Africa? Come on, help me, somebody. What would happen if one of our little children raised up to be the mayor, the, the, the governor, the president of the United States that could say, we will not tolerate abortion. We will not authorize same-sex marriage. We're going to have a standard. The Ten Commandments are going back on the walls of our courthouse, and prayer is going back to school. Could it happen? Absolutely. If the government's on his shoulder that he told you to go in his name, then some of you are called to that. Now let me conclude with my, my, my uh, introduction. On the marquee it said, Can God? Will God? Does God? As a young child, Southern California, on Sunday morning, Every Sunday morning in my life that I remember growing up as a child, the TV was on. It was black and white, and a beautiful, elegant lady would step out on the platform and say these words. I believe. 
in miracles. Every Sunday morning of my life, from the age of seven or eight to the age of 17 or 18, of course, color television came and she became in color and different things were to begin to happen, transpire, take place. 40 some odd years later, how long ago that was? Today, I believe in miracles. And I believe in the miracles that God has provided me that I did not deserve, I was not worthy of. I think David said it as well as anybody. He said, bless the Lord, oh. Or you might say, wow. Or you might say, far out. Or you might say, heavy. Or you might say, cool. Or you might say, awesome. Every generation has their own word. But David said, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Every part of my fiber praises him. Every part of my, my, my being worships him. I honor him in everything I do. I do it all for him. Everything about me is about the goodness and the blessing and the favor of God. For had it not been for a place called Calvary and had it not been for a man called Jesus, I would have overdosed 31 years ago or spent my life in San Quentin prison. Something bad would have happened. But thank God he came to where I was and purchased me with his blood, set me on a rock, gave me a destiny, gave me a purpose, gave me a hope. Bless the Lord of my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Amen. Oh, it gets better. And forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thy iniquity. You know what's worse than having something bad done to you? That you did something bad to somebody. You know, when you're the one that caused the pain. And you're the one that caused the, the divorce. And you're the one that wasted your life. And you walk in that guilt. And you walk in that shame. And you walk in that failure. And you walk in that depression. Until you walk into a cross. And at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. I'm so glad that there is a place called Calvary. I'm so glad the blood of a savior purchased the, the, the blood of a sinner and now I'm clean by his favor and his blood. He forgives all my iniquities. He says, I separate them as far as the east is from the west. And next Sunday, we'll learn how far that is. And it's going to blow your mind. It's trillions of light years. He healeth all my diseases. I met somebody several months ago that said, I just faced it. I'm, I have a disease. It's called alcoholism. I'm diseased. I've got it. I'm going to die with it. I've got it. I'm going to have to stay in rehab my whole life. So I gave that to her. Okay. You're an alcoholic. It's a disease. I'll give you that. But Psalms 103 verse 2 says, Who healeth all thy diseases. That means fibromyalgia. That means any kind of paralysis. That means any kind of sugar diabetes. That means any kind of cancer. Any kind of a tumor. Any kind of fever. Anything that comes against your body physically. The blood of Jesus was shed. 39 stripes for 39 diseases. There's nothing you can walk in that the blood of Jesus cannot heal you of all thy diseases who redeemeth thy life from destruction how many have been redeemed this morning how many can relate my God if, if I'd have stayed on the, on the road that I was on 
I'd be a dead man or I'd have some kind of syphilis, some kind of disease or I'd be in prison or I'd be in a gutter. I'd still be doing drugs. I'd still be here. I'd still be there. He came to where we are. He got right there in the gutter with us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could have nothing. We could have everything through him. What a trade he made for us. Redeemeth thy mouth that life from destruction. Crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. Today you wear two crowns, one that's called mercy and one that's called kindness. Your father thinks you're all of that in a bag of chips. He thinks you're so awesome that he sowed the only thing he had that he could sow, and that was his son. He sowed his son at Calvary, and look what he look at the seed that he's raised up. Look at the harvest he's got. Aren't you glad there's a church of Jesus Christ that's not ashamed that will stand and serve God? They're not ashamed of the gospel, and they're not ashamed to let people know. They're not ashamed. And I'll conclude with this. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like an eagle. Don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. There has been a change in me. I found a better way. And since I found the church and found the place to pray, there's been a change in me. I found a better way. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming love. Aren't you glad he found you where you were? He came right to where you are and said, I'm not going to leave you the way I found you. I'm going to put you up on a hill. I'm going to favor you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to let it rain good things on you. I'm going to change your life, change your destiny. So your youth is renewed like an eagle. At the age of 16, you want to come help me? My parents took me out of public school. 1970, the drugs had become so bad in the public school that I was a part of that the teachers were using drugs. Prostitution was so bad the city that I was in yesterday, Mike, I forgot to tell you, when I went to pay for the gas, they had a big bust at Walmart. They found a meth lab in the parking lot of Walmart. Things were so bad in my public high school that the teachers were selling kids what they call reds, quaaludes. I don't know if you know anything about that. They took me out the halfway through my sophomore year and they put me in a Christian school. It was a school founded by Dwight Thompson. It was Assembly of God School. It went all the way to 12th grade. I graduated the top five in my class, but there were only 33 in my class. That's still pretty good. Of course, what my parents didn't realize is that those that were thrown out of public school for drugs and alcohol, the only place they could go was Christian school. So things didn't change a whole lot. But I remember my junior year and I remember the school set aside one week, what they call spiritual emphasis week. And I remember like it was yesterday. I remember Nancy Harmon came with 12 kids. And they were sharp. They were college age kids. And they sang, their, they sang their hearts out. She sang her hearts out. And I still remember some of the songs of that particular meeting. But I remember one day in particular, Gail, and she'll kill me for telling this. But she would take her teeth out of her mouth 
and set him on the organ and they would look at her. And I remember her taking her teeth, Pastor Howard, out of her mouth that day and singing a song that says, the world will try to satisfy the longing in your soul. You may search the whole world o'er, but you'll never be as before. You'll find real peace and satisfaction in heaven too, for only Jesus can satisfy your soul. The crowd loved the miracles, but when he said, this represents my body eat, this represents my blood drink, the crowd got paranoid and fled and the disciples didn't realize the impact of taking himself upon you, learning of him before he was meek and lowly of heart. Know that you could cast all your care upon him because he could, what a counselor could not do, he could do something about your care. He can make the crooked places straight. He could heal the sick. He could open the blind eyes. He could raise the dead. He could restore marriages. He can, he can do it all. There's a satisfaction that comes when you eat the things of God and you digest the things of God. And all of a sudden that, that timeline changes and instead of having more, more years of your life where you're in the world, now all of a sudden more years of your life are in God. February 1st, I celebrated 33 years being a child of God. This Easter Sunday, I will celebrate 31 years of full-time ministry in the things of God. And I can surely tell you, I don't know it all. I don't have it all. I haven't done it all. But I can tell you this. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. It has been an incredible journey. I believe that it will be even greater. Our thought, our theme today, it's time for us to stop ignoring the hurts in our life, the hurts in our family, the hurts in our society. He saw it, he brought the hurt to him, spoke to her, declared, declared a prophetic utterance, laid hands on her, and immediately she was healed and began to praise him. I believe what's making disciples is letting people know no matter how bad they are, no matter what they've been through, no matter what they've done, they're never too far away from the hand or the touch of God. David said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I go to the highest Mount Everest, if I go to 29,065 feet above sea level, you're there. If I go to Death Valley, if I go to the, if I go to the Dead Sea, no matter where I'm at, you're there. And God has allowed us to share this love, to share this mercy, to share this grace, to share this favor. His mercies are as high as the heavens. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. I take authority over guilt, shame, depression, discouragement, failure, bitterness, loneliness, financial stress, marital hassle, children, prodigal children. I take authority over that in Jesus' name and I declare that we look into the field. The field is white unto the harvest. There's a harvest out there that desperately needs to know what we know. They need to do what we do. They need to hear what we've heard. And he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth labors because the need is great but the workers are few. I made up my mind I will not live this next week that I don't leave somebody to the Lord. I don't care if it was a parking lot of a Walmart, the, the bank of a river. 
or, or, or somewhere in a donut shop. I am going to do whatever it takes to let my life to be such a reflection that they would say, what are you on? Why, why are you so happy? Why are you so, don't you realize that gas is going to $4 a gallon? And for me to be able not to focus on the bad, but to focus on this. If you could see, Micah, where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love him so. You can take this world, its wealth, its riches. I don't need earth's fame. It's my desire to live for him. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. Thank you, Brother Everett. If you've wandered away from God and you're not where you're supposed to be, nothing today will happen that will embarrass you. I've never called anybody out in a public altar call. I've never embarrassed anybody.